are live. What it is, what it do, people. It's Friday. Fun Friday. Welcome to Unapologetic Live. I figured for a Friday show, and I think what we're going to do from now on is just spend Friday's show doing a week in review, going over all the hot news stories from this week so that you guys feel still feel up to date at some point, and I'll give you my take on everything that's happening in the news. So I wanted to start off with just... CNN getting owned after owned after owned. CNN is really, really tragic right now. Uh, and specifically Brian Stelter, who is one of the hosts on CNN, one of the CNN personalities, has just gotten owned twice this week. And it is really making me kind of happy to see these videos getting out there because I think it's truly bringing to light the failure of what is now, it's not even mainstream media anymore, it's legacy media, the failure of legacy media. These people who claim to be news outlets, who claim to have journalistic integrity, but every single word out of their mouth seemingly is a lie or just completely and utterly biased. And I will say it goes for both sides. There is a lot of bias in legacy media. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of independent creators come to the forefront and they're getting way higher ratings than any of these news outlets. So Brian Stelter was at the University of Chicago and this brave freshman got up and said, you know, I want to ask a question to Mr. Stelter here. And this is what he had to say. It's hilarious. My name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, my question is for Mr. Stelter. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation. Uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the Jesse Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist, and they also smeared Nick Sandman as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the, uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative? Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media, and CNN in particular, seem to magically all go in one direction. Mm. Are we expected and to believe that this is all <laughs> just some sort of random coincidence, or is there something else behind it? It's too bad, it's time for lunch. Ugh, it makes me cringe. It's so awkward. It's so the worst possible thing you could have said in response to that well thought through, well stated question was, Ugh, looks like it's time for lunch. But I expect nothing less from Brian Stelter. I will, again, show the rest of this clip so that you can see the rest of what he says. But it's just astounding. A true politician's answer. Como se dice politician's answer. Here we go. Uh, you have 30 uh, seconds. No, I mean, there's a, there's a clock that says 30 seconds. But, but I think my honest answer to you, and I will, I'll come over and talk in more detail after this, is that I think you're describing a different channel than the one that I watch. Uh, but I understand that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. I think it's important when we talk about shared reality and democracy, all these networks, all these news outlets have to defend democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. Uh, but when Benjamin Hall, the Fox correspondent, was wounded in Ukraine, the news crews at CNN and the New York Times stopped what they were doing, and they tried to help. They tried to help him get out of the country. They tried to find the dead crew members. That's what news outlets do. That's how they actually do work together to your question about sharing those kinds of connections and trust. We don't mm. talk about it enough, though. We don't share that reality about how that happens. And with regards to the regime, I think you mean the President Biden? The last time I spoke with a Biden aide, we yelled at each other. So that's the reality of the news business. The people don't see, <laughs> the people don't hear 
They imagine that it's a, <laughs> a situation that simply is not. But I think your question, it speaks to the failure of journalism to show our work and show the reality of how our profession operates. Oh my gosh, pause, 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 pause. Remember that one time when all the news outlets paused to find that one guy? We don't talk about that enough. Uh, Brian, we don't talk about that enough because it doesn't happen enough. You spend most of your day shouting propaganda, and the same can be said for outlets like Fox News and, and things like that, but you spend most of your day pushing a false propagandized narrative to the American people and they go, but you don't, you don't talk about the, that one time where we helped that one guy. <laughs> and then he goes, the, you know, the last time that I spoke to a Biden aide, I yelled at him. <laughs> okay, so I'm so glad you said that, Brian. Now that I know that you yelled at a Biden aide, I no longer see the bias in your news reporting. I no longer recognize the fact that you are a completely, you are part of a completely one-sided news outlet because you yelled at the president's aide. Thank you so much for that. And again, this is just tap dancing, doing the old politician's answer to this question because I th he knows. There's no way at this point that he does not know how absolutely biased his news outlet is. And we've seen this not only by just turning on the TV and watching what they're saying versus what we are actually living in our daily lives, but also they've been exposed for it. Project Veritas did this whole expose on CNN, finding their executives and their operatives at CNN saying, you know, we we get the narrative from the higher ups and what we want people to believe. And then we spin the story around it. And then we put that out to people. And we wanted more deaths from COVID so we can make sure that that death toll on our on the TV was super high so we could truly instill fear in the American people so that they would look to us, CNN, for what they should do with their lives. And what we can do as a news outlet is just control that narrative and control the minds of the American people, which I'm going to show you a crazy video from MSNBC where one of their workers says exactly that, but that'll be at the end of the show. So yeah, Taylor, do you have thoughts on this other than just how ridiculous this is? I mean, yeah, it's just the guy, the kid lays out like 10 specific examples right. of how CNN has just been nothing but a propaganda outlet. And his only response is to like, like you said, issue a, a red herring of a story of like, well, right. once upon a time, uh, we collaborated with some other news outlets. And it's, it's, you know, it's clear. It's like, what, what are you going to do? You've, you're caught red handed. Mm -hmm. um, is he just going to feel like, yeah, you're right. You know, we're, we're a propaganda outlet. You right. know, everything I, I'm just projecting every time I say that it's Fox News, that's, uh, that's just shilling for, for their side. We don't do that. I mean, of course, of course, he has to, you know, throw a red herring out there and distract sure. from, from, Acknowledging the reality, which is he is a show. Right. And it's oh, just you could just say, yeah, we could do a little bit better to uh, to to do good on these stories and to truly give you the truth and try to be a little less biased because Brian keeps getting caught in this lie, keeps <laughs> getting caught in saying things like CNN is here to give you true news and, and we're the best news in the market here. And then there's people who are on his show tell him. Brian, come on now. We know that's not true. And if you want another example of that, that happened also this week. Here is the video. He brings on uh, a guy who had done a study about news bias, about how people view these media outlets. And Brian brought him on to talk about Fox and to, for him to do the same thing where they say Fox News is totally biased towards Republicanism or the GOP or just conservative values in general and that all of their news is biased. But here's what the guy had to say. 
So, Josh, you all call this partisan coverage filtering. Um, and it, basically, you're proving what we've sensed for a while, which is Fox viewers are in the dark about bad news for the GOP. That's right. Fox and CNN cover different issues. And Fox News predominantly covers issues that, that make the GOP look good and, and make Democrats look bad. And, and on the flip side, CNN en engages in this partisan coverage filtering as, as well that we find. For example, during this time, the Abraham Accords were signed, and these were the agreements where Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain signed a, a major peace agreement. And we see that Fox News covered this really major accomplishment about 15 times more than, than CNN did. So we established both networks are, are really engaging in this partisan coverage filtering. It's, it's not about one side. It's about the media writ large. I think you're engaging in some both sidesism there, Josh. <laughs> I just love how he tries to recover after being completely ousted for what he does on a day-to-day -day basis on this network. He's like, oh, well, well, could you please just sit here and just ruin Fox News for me? Can you just please come here and roast Fox News on my network? And the guy goes, well, Fox and CNN both engage in this very partisan view of how we tell people the news and what we say. And we know that they're both engaged in this. And he goes, well... Uh, I think I think you're you're getting into those both sides isms there. It's so awkward. It is so unbelievably awkward. And for this to happen twice in one week is just make just just make it right. Just say, okay, I totally get it because you can do this for as long as as you you live. You can stand there and deny this, but the people who are watching your network see it. They know that you are A, either lying to them or B, just being so utterly biased. And that's why I think on both sides of the spectrum, we are done watching mainstream media and their ratings are tanking. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody wants to watch this because they're not getting what is truly happening. They are seeing something in the lives that they lead day in and day out in their own communities and then turning on the TV to listen to people tell them that it's not happening. <laughs> and uh, it's not news anymore. When you turn on CNN, you're not hearing what's happening. When you turn on MSNBC, ABC, you're not hearing what's happening. Even Fox News, a lot of times, you're not hearing what's happening. You're hearing whatever host's opinion uh, is of, of what's happening in, in today's day, in today's life. And you're hearing whatever the CEO of this news outlet wants you to know about things. And that's why you can turn on both these networks at the same time and hear completely and utterly different stories about the life that you are leading. How insane is that? But that's journalism. Yeah. Like, why do we have to have a show on CNN called Reliable Sources where Brian Stelter, of all people, is going to tell us, you know, what objective truth is and what good journalism is and call out people for being bad journalists when they won't even acknowledge what their bias is. Like, right. look, we're on a channel, PragerU is very open about what we stand for, yes. you, and Amla's very open. If you ask her what she'll say on any issue, we'll, we'll be transparent with you. And that's all we're asking for. But the insistence mm -hmm. on claiming to be the the arbiters of truth and good journalism and saying that we're, we are the ones who say what the reliable sources are, right. uh, it's just... Just give it a rest. Just it's okay. You can you can you can be honest. Yes. Um, that's all people want. People will actually trust you more if you just say, "Hey, here's what I think. Here's where here's where my my biases are." Because mm -hmm. every no one's fooling themselves anymore. Everyone knows uh, where CNN lies, and and they project so hard and try so hard to be like, "Well, Fox is the only one that that has uh, a slant," and they refuse to acknowledge their own. And it's just like it's a game. And this and our next story is going to illustrate. Uh, 
just the fact that people sniff through this stuff. Right. Because as much as you can sit there on your television and lie to people, uh, they're not going to be buying your products anymore. And this has been brought to the forefront with CNN Plus, which was a subscription service that CNN put out where you could get extra CNN content. Now, here's the headline out of CNBC. CNN Plus struggles to lure viewers in its early days, drawing fewer than 10 thousand daily use daily users fewer than ten thousand a uh, prager you has more daily users i feel like than than cnn plus which is insane to me but actually not at all because if you turn on the tv and you look at this stuff this is what you're getting or do you really think that even somebody who's liberal or leftist which we don't happen to be is going to go you know what let me actually pay more money a month to be lied to let me pay more money to get your political bias that's already on my TV if I want to watch it. But I want more lies. I want to pay you to shout your propaganda in my face. And apparently people at CNN, Chris Wallace, who left Fox News to work at CNN and I'm, I'm sure was promised a massive audience and a great contract, they're freaking out because nobody's buying CNN Plus and they don't know why. And this is why I think... These outlets are no longer mainstream media. They are legacy media. They can't seem to recognize that their audience does not want to hear what they have to say anymore. And they're not shifting to the new market of ideas and what people actually want to see. They want to see discussions like what's happening on Joe Rogan, where he'll bring on people who he disagrees with and they will talk it through and do it in a good faith manner to actually get to the bottom of what people are thinking and what they are talking about. CNN won't do that. Uh, Fox News rarely does that. And that's not what people want to watch anymore. They want to see what's real. They want to see what's true. And they want to see uh, what they actually think and get real news. They don't want to go to the gas pump and pay $7 a gallon like we're seeing out here in LA and then turn on the news and hear that inflation is good and we should lower our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they're saying. They are spinning you a tale. It's just, it's, it's, more, it's more fictional than real at this point. And I'm happy to see that people are actually facing them and saying this. That guy said it live on TV. That other video I showed you of the college student talking to Brian like that, the dude was a freshman in college. A freshman in college can see through the complete and utter tale that you are spinning on your TV day in and day out, and they don't want it either. Uh, now, speaking of lying and promoting a narrative that you don't actually believe in and just promoting lies to people, here's what Warner Brothers put out. For those of you who don't know, Warner Brothers is a massive entertainment company, and apparently Warner Brothers wants to honor its LGBTQ plus partners, allies, employees, and artists. They put out this. We celebrate LGBTQ plus artists, employees, and fans, and are proud of our stories that represent the LGBTQ experience but acknowledge that we have so much more to do. We are committing to tell more authentic LGBTQ plus stories, nurture queer talent, and harness our resources to advocate for equality. What a beautiful message. They even put out their logo in all of the pride colors, as you can see here on my screen. How beautiful. It almost brings tears to my <laughs> eyes. And you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to take a trip to China and watch the Warner Brother films and see if they're the same. Wait a second. 
Warner Brothers refuses and actually edits out characters that are gay in its Chinese films. Here's out of Variety. References to a gay relationship were edited out of the Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, by Warner Brothers for the film's release in China. That's a good old head scratcher there. I don't quite understand. How is it that you claim to uphold LGBTQ plus people but edit it out of the Chinese market? It's almost as though companies like Disney and Warner Brothers are beholden to the CCP. And the CCP, I don't think they like gay people. So how is it that you can put out a press release saying that you're going to support LGBTQ plus people and then edit out your gay characters? Can somebody from Warner Brothers please come on the show and explain that to me? Because I don't quite get it. It's just amazing. And what do you say, Taylor? It's called The Secrets of Dumbledore. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't he supposed to yeah. be the gay character? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess Dumbledore's secrets are staying secret in China about his sexuality. <laughs> Dumbledore will not be coming out of the closet in China no. uh, because I don't think... Uh, Chinese people or their market would like that all that much. And again, these companies do, they do not care. I want to stress this to you because every single time a political movement happens and there's always something new, we'll go through the whole open borders debate with immigration. We'll go through the Black Lives Matter stuff, the LGBTQ plus stuff, the feminist stuff, and every single corporation in lockstep with each other, we'll suddenly have a logo with the, the, the female sign on it or the LGBTQ pride flag or Black Lives Matter with a nice little fist and they'll put that up on their Twitter and their Instagram and they'll make a little press release and say, we stand by you. We are your allies. We stand in solidarity. And then they go, hey, China, I promise I'll edit this out. Don't, don't look at what we're doing in the US because it's totally different than what we'll be doing for you. I promise, I promise, I promise. Also, if there's anything else you want us to take out, please just let us know and we will get that over to you as fast as possible. Just please give us the money, give us the money. That's what they're like. And they put out another statement on this because of course Warner Brothers got called out for doing this. And people said, wait a second, how are you gonna do this here and not be consistent in the values that you claim to have? And they said this, oh, let me put on my, I pretend to care about this voice. As a studio, we're committed to safeguarding the integrity of every film we release, and that extends to circumstances that necessitate making nuanced cuts in order to respond sensitively to a variety of in-market factors, which is a really smart and pretty way of saying that if China, the China and the Middle East hates gay people, we will hate gay people too for them. That's what they're saying there. That is what they're saying, which is why you see all these companies that... When the woke, you know, campaign of the month is happening, they'll put out their little cute little tweet Twitter uh, response and they'll change their username or they'll change the little icon that they have on all their social media platforms. But then when you look them up and compare them to their Middle East factions or their Chinese factions, the logo looks the same. They don't put that little pride flag up. They don't put Black Lives Matter on that because guess what? They don't believe in those things and they don't support those things. Yet in America, they will make that abundantly clear for you. And in fact, they will look at you and spit at your feet for not joining these campaigns because it's the right thing to do. We act in solidarity for those who are oppressed and for those who are marginalized, but we don't do it in countries where they throw them off buildings because that wouldn't look good for us and we would lose a lot of money. But please let us raise your kids. Let Warner Brothers and Disney 
teach your kids about sexual orientation and gender here in America while other countries remain strong in the belief that that's not okay. Uh, and here we are. So if you are giving any money or financial support to Warner Brothers, you might want to think on that uh, because it uh, doesn't seem to be such a great company, huh, Taylor? Yeah. Um, I'm just glad that we have such a you know strong media that is so honest and holds like reliable sources in our media mm. that holds these companies accountable when they espouse these values and this lofty language about how they care about people's rights and then uh, don't hold you know and then they uh, don't hold up those rights in China. I'm right. glad that uh, I'm glad that the media is just so honest and uh, holds them accountable. Right. <laughs> They even, so I talked about this on the Disney episode that I did, Disney even thanked the CCP after being able to uh, film Mulan, and uh, film Mulan, the, the live action version of that and get that out to the Chinese people. They in fact thanked the Turpin Security Council, which is responsible for the concentration camps that they call re-education camps, that are all over China. So this is what they care about. Don't don't think for a second that any of these companies or corporations care about you, your lifestyle, or what you do in your life. It is all just a giant pat myself on the back virtue signal. That's all it will ever be. And somebody's calling that out when it comes to these companies, because if they could just control your mind and work you like a little puppet, they absolutely would. And Elon Musk has come to the forefront and said, I'm not going to let that happen. So... Twitter and poison pill is trending today and Elon Musk is trending today in his efforts to infiltrate this company and hopefully fix it. But let's give an overview of really everything that has happened here and why this is happening, because I know a lot of you are following it, but we want a full recap here. So Elon Musk is very prevalent on Twitter. Of course, he's the richest man on the planet and he is very big on Twitter. He has a massive following there and he keeps up with sort of the politics of this social media app. Now, he put out a poll a few months back asking people if they thought that Twitter was truly upholding freedom of speech, our First Amendment rights, and if Twitter was actually functioning as sort of this public, uh, what, what's the word that he used? Public public forum. Yeah, yeah like a, a public for forum. Free speech. Yeah, the same things you'll see in the bill about Section 230. Is, is Twitter actually upholding your First Amendment rights and freedom of speech? That's what Elon asked. And he told people that the answers to the specific poll that he put out were going to have a massive impact on what he did in the future. And over 70% of people responded to this uh, poll and said, no, Twitter is not upholding our First Amendment rights. It is not staying true to freedom of speech. So he went quiet there for a little bit, and suddenly we got this announcement that Elon had bought a massive amount of Twitter, 9.2%, which is far more than Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey owns, and he was now considered to be or could have the option of being a board member. Now, when asked to come and join the Twitter board with somewhat open arms, the new Twitter CEO said, yes, we'd be glad to have Elon on the team. We're going to be very open to the suggestions that he has, but not too open. They made that very clear. Not too open to what Elon has to say, but we will offer him a seat on the board and Elon said no I don't want the seat on your board and a lot of people went why did he turn that down he could make so many changes he needs to be sitting there he needs to be keeping up with everything that they're doing but Elon had a bigger plan in mind he was going to offer 43 billion dollars to buy out Twitter and that's exactly what he did he wanted the whole 
platform so that he could fix the problems that are happening because he is a self-proclaimed free speech absolutist. He knows how important that is to a functioning society, a functioning government, and just to be a pluralistic nation, as we should be. And when he offered this bid to Twitter, they did not like that. They did not want him buying their platform. So essentially, they went through this process that people are deeming the poison pill, where basically they said, if you buy up more than 15% of Twitter, we're going to release a bunch of shares out to the public, and the public is going to snatch those up, and you will own less. Your your percentage uh, a stake in this company is going to go lower and lower and lower the more that we release. So essentially, you're no longer functioning as the, the sole arbiter of what happens with this company anymore. So this happened. And now we're sort of in this back and forth. People are speculating as to whether or not Elon Musk has another trick up his sleeve to get this company and to be able to make the changes that need to be made while Twitter stock is going all over the place. People are buying it up like crazy, waiting to see what happens. And I think this is great. A lot of people are going, oh, you just got, you guys just want a billionaire to come and save you. But for how long did we hear the left say, if you don't like this platform, go and build your own or go buy a new platform or go do something else and look what's happening. And now they're not happy. We see all these Twitter employees and they're on Twitter and they're going, oh my gosh, if Elon, if Elon buys Twitter, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the company. I'm going to leave this country. I'm going to kill myself if Elon buys this company. And look, Oh, how the turntables, as Michael Scott would say. Oh, how the turntables. <laughs> because we have Elon, who is hopefully going to be successful in his endeavor to take over this company in some way, shape, or form, and actually make it beholden to the people who use it. And they're not just their views. We don't want the, the platform to be beholden to any set of views or ideology. We just want to have a platform that allows us to explore our different views and our different sets of ideology that does not censor us. It does not take away the platforms that we've created. We've seen this happen with Babylon B. We've seen it happen with Tucker Carlson, Libs of TikTok, one of our favorite Twitter accounts on the platform, Charlie Kirk. And these are people who, in my opinion, are not saying anything too radical, but it's been deemed too radical by these platforms. And they're calling it hate speech. They're calling it insensitive. They're calling words violence, which is terrifying. And you should be worried about that. And if it takes somebody who happens to be, you know, extremely rich, which being extremely rich for some reason is something that is hated on, on both sides of the political spectrum. But if it takes somebody who's extremely rich to come and fix this platform and give you your freedom back, I will take that to the bank. Uh, and hopefully what happens is that these Twitter shareholders and their board members realize that this is going to be a lose-lose for them and they should just allow him to go through with his plan. But the reason, you have to think about this, this is going to hurt them fiscally if they don't allow Elon to buy out Twitter. It's the best thing for this company. Uh, and some might even say it's a fiduciary responsibility. What a big word. I feel like such an adult fiduciary <laughs> responsibility to allow him to buy this company. And the reason they 
aren't is because they know the influence that they have over you, ladies and gentlemen. They know that every single day they get to wake up off of their uh, down feathered pillows and choose and curate exactly what you get to hear, exactly what you get to see, and it can be whatever they want, whatever they believe. And that's why through all this economic turmoil, all this political turmoil, all this polarization and divisiveness, Twitter has remained pretty, pretty straight on giving you the leftist view of things and they make sure that if they have a story that they don't want to get out it doesn't get out it gets taken off the platform or they reword it into these beautiful words that really divert your eyes away from the actual problem you know instead of riots they're mostly peaceful protests uh you the the reins on a on a horse are actually whips you know, we're putting kids in cages and things like that instead of separating children from possible child predators. These, these are the things that they do. And they don't want to give up that power. And it should show you truly how influential these apps are. I know many, many people, myself being one of them, Taylor being one of them, who get a lot of their news from going through and looking at Twitter, although we do look at other sources, a lot of people don't. They go on Twitter, they go to what's trending, they go to the COVID tab because we still need one of those, and then they go to the news tab and they just search through. And guess who gets to pick all that for you? Those board members, those higher ups, those shareholders, they're the ones who get to do that. And they should not be able to do that. What's trending should be what's actually trending. What news you see should be a spectrum of all different sets of beliefs because you are then crippled in being able to come to a consensus on these things. And that's why everybody feels so confused. We all feel like we're living in this haze and we could flip the TV channel 10 times and hear 10 different views on the same exact story with different facts, with different statistics and with different conclusions because that's all anybody wants. Our minds, our minds are now currency. And people get to buy it and trade it and morph it into whatever they want. And that's what they're paying for. They want your data. They want your soul. They want who you are, what you think, what you believe, what you like, so that you yourself in all of your entirety can become a commodity. That's what they want from you. And hopefully Elon Musk is going to step in and go, no, that's not okay. And give people control back and allow them to say what they like to say, what they want to say without the repercussions of having everything stripped from them on the internet. Yeah, what's really telling is that these, the, because, okay, first off, let's just dismiss with this talking point that billionaires shouldn't be able to buy a company. I mean, th the people who are holding on to Twitter are all billionaires. Twitter's original CEO, Jack Dorsey, billionaire. Mm. Uh, many people on the board, billionaires. Vanguard, BlackRock, they're all billionaires that own this. So it's, and I'm about to mention the, what is it, like the king or prince of Saudi Arabia owns like 5%, one of the biggest shareholders who I don't think represents the values of free speech. Right. And these are the people that the mainstream media is like, yeah, uh, we, we need to prevent, uh, Elon Musk from taking over because uh, you know we don't that he's going to re-platform people like libs of TikTok or, or Tucker right. Carlson. He's going to re-platform views that that are not the ones that they want to they want out there. And so their whole purpose for resisting Elon Musk is so that they can maintain control over the discourse that's happening in public. And mm -hmm. and that's they're even what's really telling is they're even willing to sacrifice money and do something that is not in the best interest financial interest of their company and its shareholders which is probably which is should be illegal uh, it is illegal to not act in the best interest of the shareholders and of the company right um 
and they're but they're willing to do that just so that they can maintain control over uh, the conversation and over this platform and over what people see and it's and and because that's that that power over the over a conversation is worth more to them than money and that's really what this is all about and it's amazing to see uh, a lot of mainstream p- figures and people in the mainstream media coming out a lot of blue check marks on Twitter mm-hmm. who are like oh we cannot let Elon Musk take over we have to keep it in the control of who the Saudis <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right you know BlackRock like oh you're you're now on their side and supposedly like the left used to be like oh yeah we're the champions of liberal values and free speech and here they are beholden to china and blackrock and rooting for the side of the saudi arabians who i last time i checked don't align with your values so it's it's all a show and uh it's it's just amazing that there it's so clear that there's it's what if nothing else Elon Musk has exposed uh, the underbelly of Twitter and the the people who are behind the scenes who do have a vice grip on it and are trying to control it so that they can exert control over what we see and what's discussed. Right, you're exactly right. That is what they want. And Taylor's going to be looking through the comments on the unapologetic Amala Epinobi page on YouTube. If you guys want to go and comment there, we'll be looking on my Facebook as well uh, to interact with you guys a little bit during this episode today. But yes, that's exactly what they want. The New York Times put out an article on this whole Elon Musk thing, and I, I don't have the specific article with me, but here's Fox News reporting on it. E- they called... I lost your screen. You know. Oh, I'll plug in again. Um, so the New York Times got wind of this whole story and started saying that Elon Musk's possible future plans with Twitter were treacherous. <laughs> that's the word. Treacherous. You you must beware of the great Musk for he will reinstate your freedom of speech. That's what they think is treacherous. And I can't stress this enough to the people who are watching who might not align with conservative values. That is totally okay. It's totally okay that we have different life experiences and you believe something different than I do. But freedom of speech is not just a conservative value. It should be everybody's value in this country. And when we come here and we fight for conservative, uh, for freedom of speech, and when Elon does the same thing, it's not just fighting for a particular side, it's fighting for you. Because the same people who are going to sit here and talk about cancel culture and censoring other people and saying that people who disagree with them have no rights on these platforms, they're going to come for you too. They are using you as a pawn to move forward with their agenda. And once they're done, guess where you're at? You're not on this victorious side that is suddenly done making changes and done transforming the world and done morphing things into way that into the way that they want to see it. They will move on to you too because that's the, what they want. They don't want a utopia for you. They want power. And they want to be able to use that power in any in any way they see fit. And the people on the left like I used to be who shout about censorship and cancel culture That's what you're talking about. You're talking about power. They want your power too. And as much as the left says that they're against this massive concentration of power, they're playing right into the hand of the people who want it more than anything in the world. And when they're done with us, you will be next because you're just another person to subjugate. That's all that they view you as uh, in this light. And 
again, I'm excited to see where this goes. I hope Elon is successful in being able to somewhat take over Twitter and make it into the platform that it should be, a public forum where people are truly allowed to say what they want to say. Because if the Taliban can have Twitter accounts, I think conservatives in America should be able to have them too. I know that's a very crazy thought, but that's what I would like to see. Hot take. By the way, Elon Musk did say he's got a plan B, which no one knows what that yeah. is yet. So he's been playing chestnut checkers this whole time. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, well, I'm looking forward to see what he's got up his sleeve. Yeah, there's something else coming through the pipeline. Could have know. something to do with Getter, which, by the way, we should be live on today. Yes. We are live on Getter as well. So for those of you who are like, I don't want to watch on YouTube, I don't want to watch on Facebook because I don't want to support these platforms, we are also live on Getter and featured on that app. So if you go to Getter, Amla Epinobi, or PragerU, we are streaming on both of those accounts and you'll be able to watch this show as well. Now, in case you listen to all of that and you still think they have no intention of controlling what you think, the legacy media or mainstream media, whatever you like to call it, has no intention of controlling your mind and the things that you believe. Here is a video out of MSNBC that I want you to watch. Who were Trump voters and are still Trump supporters. They go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the issues. Uh... <laughs> That's the quiet part being said yeah. out loud, ladies and gentlemen. I think she was just supposed to think that in her brain and maybe not verbalize it. But she, in, in either way you interpret this, you could say that this was just a slip and she meant that in terms of undermining what's actually happening, undermining reality. Even if that's what she meant, she said that's our job. It's our job to undermine what is actually happening and tell, and tell the story and spin it in some way. But no, what she actually said is it's, it's our job to control what people think and what they see. That is the job of the media. And... This whole little 30 second clip is just wonderful because she completely and just completely explains exactly what we've been trying to tell you, what others have been trying to tell you, what people like Joe Rogan and Russell Brand have been trying to tell you is that they know what their job is. They know their job is to undermine what is truly reality, to create division and to ultimately control what you think and each and every one of these outlets has their own curated agenda just for you uh, so as as much as they have created this massive legacy of disseminating information to people they're just leaning on that legacy and this is something that taylor expressed earlier that they've been able to build these massive platforms and kudos to them for becoming ma massive broadcasters in the news but they're not that anymore and they, instead of changing and morphing to the actual market of ideas and what Americans want to see, they're holding firm in their delusional beliefs and thinking, you know, that if we just say the lie as many times as we can, it will become truth. If we just ignore the people who call us out for our bias, if we just say, 
you're playing the both sides game like Brian Stelter did to the guy who said, no, your network is just as biased. If we just keep doing that enough, they will believe us and our legacy will remain and our viewers will come back. But they won't. They won't come back. No. And like, you know, it's, it's, it is it's called Legacy Media because uh, once upon a time they did adhere to journalistic principles. Once upon a time, you know, CNN had newsrooms all over the world and they were much they, they actually reported news and were, were delivering a service to the American people that had some intrinsic value. And then that became on cable. And that, it was like a, it was like a place to get news. And it wasn't always as bad. It, it was, you know, they've always had a slight slant. Mm-hmm. But at least they they brought in something of intrinsic value. Now they've established that hege- hegemony. They've established this uh, being on in airports and everywhere. Uh, and they're living off the legacy that they've built of of just the platform that they've built. And so you're not watching Brian Stelter and Don Lemon because they earned that audience by persuading you that they're trustworthy or persuading you that they're intelligent commentators on political issues of the day. Mm-hmm. You're only watching, the, you know, Don Lemon and Brian Stelter because CNN decided to give them that platform. Yeah. And so... You know, but un, which is unlike you or Joe Rogan or these or you know Prager you, which people have decided, hey, these people are saying true things mm-hmm. or hosting conversations that are interesting that have inherent value. So I'm going out of my way to seek them out, and that's the new media. New media is I trust this personality or this outlet because they're honest about what they're where they stand and they're contributing to free speech and free discourse. But this legacy media is trying to use the institutional power that they've accumulated over time to dominate the discourse and silence uh, dissenting views. And it's the same thing, the institution of Twitter, they're trying to use that, uh, that it's become this big giant thing. And they're trying to use that power to censor the voices that they don't like to give you one way of the world. We can talk about Disney. They're trying to use what they've built over time, all the trust. We talked, we did a whole episode on it this week of how much Disney is a part of our childhood and how much trust people have had in them. Um, But they, what they've, are the new, uh, the elite class mm-hmm. is using all of this accumulated institutional power in our universities and the mainstream media and Disney everywhere you can see uh, to try to, from the top down, c- censor things that they don't like and bring in this new worldview, this new woke ideology and impose it everywhere they can. And uh, it's up to you, people like you watching to seek out information for yourself and find voices that say the truth and uh, support them, amplify them and you speak out in your own life. Right. You're exactly right. And this comment I want to read from Red Pilled Redhead on the Unapologetic channel saying journalism is as corrupt as a profession as politicians. And it's starting to feel that way. And in fact, it's starting to feel like they just all work in tandem. You can look at the whole Chris Cuomo debacle at uh, CNN. And and that proves it, that they really are working hand in hand to just spin you whatever story they want to tell you. And it is very unfortunate. But alas, that is our reality. And again, their ratings will tank and we We'll move on to people like Joe Rogan and Russell Brand and hopefully this podcast that you guys are watching right now. And that's where our money will go. That's where our support will go. That's where our eyes and ears will go, which is the most valuable thing to them. So one other quick comment here from Mason Pyle says Elon Musk might become the first African-American to own a social media site. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Winning for the African-Americans there. Yeah. And if they don't let him, that'll be discrimination against African-Americans. He should really utilize that as much as he possibly can. Why are they why are they fighting against African-American advancement? Right. (laughs) You want to hold us down is what they really want to do. It's like when TikTok uh, bans you, which they did again this week for a a second, but for the fourth time. But they, they have this 
big whole message about how they want to elevate black voices and yep. ban you. And that's actually a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about next. I've made three TikToks about gender theory in the past week, and all three of those TikToks have lasted less than an hour on the platform. One made it to 50 minutes before being taken down for hate speech. The next one made it to 11 minutes before being taken down for hate speech. And the last one, 55 minutes before being taken down for hate speech. And what am I saying in these videos? Nothing extreme, nothing radical. I'm not saying that I don't support trans adults or that, you know, and adults shouldn't be able to do whatever they want with their body. I'm simply saying you should not teach this to children and you should not encourage it to children. And in fact, there is a large group of people on these apps and on, uh, mainstream media, legacy media, whatever we want to call it. And they are trying to influence young people to do these things and to believe these things. And immediately, less than an hour, these videos get taken down for hate speech and my account is temporarily banned. It shows you the agenda there. And this is not something that I think really needs a lot of divisiveness or polarity as it pertains to left and right. I think we should be able to come together and agree that young children should not be learning about sexual education or different gender identities or being encouraged to have a different gender identity or set of pronouns or being told that if they want to they can block their puberty and become a different gender we should be able to agree on that it's unfortunate that in many ways we cannot uh so a lot of this it, we've been told is a dog whistle. This is not actually happening. Kids are not actually being taught these things. Uh, us people on the, the right si uh, side of things are just obsessed with blowing a dog whistle and it's one that does not exist whatsoever. Now, here's a video I wanna show you. Now, this video is being shown in New Jersey public schools to fifth graders. I'm not gonna show you the beginning portion of this video. I'm actually skipping 23 seconds ahead because this video animates and shows a boy man i don't know what he's meant to be touching himself and encourages it to children says that uh this is something good that you can do although people will tell you that it is unhealthy and uh that you should it basically shows them how to do it and tells them to do it in private that's what the first 23 seconds of this video shows and you're wondering hmm could this possibly get worse <laughs> could they possibly show something else that is as bad as that to young people in fifth grade oh and boy do i have the answer for you and it's yes here's the video endocrinologists specialize in hormones and they're the most likely to prescribe puberty blockers for someone who wants them Puberty blockers are medications that will stop your body from changing. They are usually given as an injection or an implant. They block the production of hormones to stop or delay the physical changes of puberty. The effects of the medication are only temporary, so if a person stops using puberty blockers, the physical changes of puberty will begin again. Whether you identify as male, female, genderqueer, or something else, you're perfectly normal. Okay, I, good thing I paused that there. Yeah, I love how they animated and they're like, so cool, dude. I love getting my puberty blocking injections. Line up, kids. That's what they're trying to promote in these videos. And what blows my mind is just how far it has gotten that we are showing this to young children in fifth grade in New Jersey public schools. And there are other states that are doing this as well. And they have their own set of videos. If you want to look up a, an insane company, look up Amaze, I believe Amaze TV, and they have videos 
a bunch of videos like this that are being taught in public schools to young children. And I want to hone in on a lie that was actually told. Uh, let's see if we can find it. They're usually given as an injection or an implant. They block the production of hormones to stop or delay the physical changes of puberty. The effects of the medication are only temporary, so if a person stops using puberty blockers, the physical changes of puberty will begin again. Okay, so in part, that is true. If you start taking puberty blockers a short amount of time and then you stop taking the puberty blockers, eventually your body will go back to normal and that will return and the body's natural processes will return. But they make it sound like it's so beautiful and cute and anytime that you wanna stop, you know, if you change your mind, little Timmy, who's 13 years old, you can just tell them to stop it and your body's gonna go back to normal and all the chemicals that you just injected into you will do absolutely nothing and you can just reverse it back and no, there's no problem. That's not true at all. That is not true. In fact, there is a massive lack of definitive studies that show what puberty blockers do, do to you and whether or not there is irreversible damage when you undergo this sort of medical treatment. But that's not what they're gonna tell the kids, right? They're gonna tell little Timmy and Mary. <laughs> I don't know why they're, the kids are named Timmy and Mary. But they're gonna tell little Timmy and Mary that if you're confused about your gender, little Timmy and Mary, you can just go change it. And whenever you want, you can flip it back. Is that true, ladies and gentlemen? Do we really think that's true? We know that's not true. But that's what they are teaching them. And this should be concerning. And I always do the rants on why it's concerning. And I won't do that today. But the mental health problems that are attached to this, the rates of suicidal ideation that are attached to this are a massive problem. And now we're seeing this being pushed to young children. And if you somehow watch this video and you go, no, I don't believe it. It's still a dog whistle. This is just a video that you found. Here are teachers talking about teaching exactly this. Here's another fifth grade teacher talking about what she does in her classroom. This is a tool I use to teach students about gender and sexuality. First up, we have sex assigned at birth. This is what the doctor says you are when you come out of the womb. It should be based on chromosomes, hormones, and genitals, but most time doctors. Sex assigned at birth is not just what a doctor says when you're born. And I, you have to really keep an eye on the language used around this sort of ideology in every single social issue that we talk about, because it is it's so smart so smart to change the language around it and make it sound sort of uh, malleable and something that's moldable. Your sex assigned at birth is not your actual sex. It's simply what the doctor says you are after you're born. And you're going to start to hear this more and more. As you look into gender theory and as you find these videos, you will hear people say that exact expression, that sex at birth is just whatever the doctor tells you, whatever they choose to write on your birth certificate. Of course, that's not true. It's just like a genitals. Next up, we have gender identity, which is totally different from sex assigned at birth. This is what you feel you are inside, and no one can see this from the outside. There are three different sliders that you can move up and down to describe your gender identity. Then we have gender expression, which is how you show your gender to the world. It's usually based in a sort of binary system, which isn't perfect. Again, you can slide these up and down to show the different gendered ways you express yourself. Then we jump down to attraction. We have physical attraction and emotional attraction. These are different. Oh, Again, there man. are sliders that a person can use to best describe their sexuality. This incredible resource is made by the Trans Student Educational Resources. You can go to their website right here. They're <sighs> the gender unicorn. I can't. 
hi, Cam, my kid is, I don't know what I'm going to do with my future children, but it's not, it seemingly is not public school, or at least, you know, a well-vetted public school. Honestly, uh, the American education system, I have no idea what to say about it anymore. It is almost worth educating your kids in a different country at this point, because this is insane to me that this is being taught and so openly and again the language around it is just this brilliant study in how to influence people she said there that what your gender identity truly is can never be seen by other people and think about how strong of a statement that is so now you can tell your little fifth grade students that nobody can see what gender identity you are so when mommy and daddy try to tell you that they can see your gender identity or brother and sister or even a doctor tries to tell you I can see your gender identity and this is what you are tell them no because nobody can see that that's only within you and we know this not to be true and it's the same people who even five years ago there was this massive trend and people were making t-shirts of raise boys and girls the same there's no such thing as gender roles boys don't have to like blue girls don't have to like pink listen because it's those same people who will look at a kindergartner who's a girl and she goes well i like action figures in the color blue and they go well that's a boy thing so maybe you're a boy but five years ago, you were telling me that boy things didn't exist, that girl things didn't exist. And now you're telling Mary that because she likes boy things, she could have a different gender identity that nobody can see. So the arguments are not matching up. They And they know that. I'm sure that they can see it. But they need to be called out on it because... You can just continue to spin language and make new words and move the move the ball around so that people can't catch it and they will be successful in doing this. And so far they have been. And that's why we need to see more states that are pushing forward and saying, no, we need curriculum to be transparent in these schools and we can't allow this to happen. These teachers are so bold. You know what this whole thing reminds me of is the, the we covered it on the on the last show the um, Yuri Benzmanov steps to ideological subversion and one of them was normalization and mm -hmm. just the way that like the video we watched before it's made for fifth graders and it's all this happy little tune and talking about you know how you should you should choose your gender and how sad it is that you you uh, that health insurance doesn't cover mm -hmm. uh, injections that block puberty like. There, it's the light tone, like you're saying, it's the way that they, they have this genius sort of marketing campaign yep. for this whole gender ideology and put it on gender unicorns and all this stuff. Yep. And it's an effort to normalize the way that children think about their ideology in the way that no children think about themselves and mm -hmm. in our curriculum and, and in society at large. They're trying to usher in a new normal. And and Yuri Bezmenov pointed out that this is what they did in Soviet Russia uh, to usher in an ideological revolution and bring in a new culture. And so that that is uh, something at play here that we should be conscious of. Right. And here's a comment from Deborah Fields. She says, how about allowing parents to be parents? No matter where you are on this issue, the teachers shouldn't be pushing their agendas on children at any age. Yep. So true. If you are a parent who believes in this and wants to teach your kids that this exists, that's your prerogative. That is your right to do so. There's nothing that I can do about that, although I would love to have a conversation with you about why that is problematic. And if, if there is a parent out there who's listening right now who believes in this and is going to teach their kids this, please, uh, I don't know, send us an email and I would love to have you on the show to discuss that further. But if you want to do that as a parent, 
that's your prerogative. You can do that. But teachers should not be able to do that, even if they support your ideology or if they don't. I'm not going and asking for teachers to start uh, espousing conservative values in schools. I don't want that either. I want teachers to do their jobs. And right now what we're seeing is this mass exodus of really great, well-rounded teachers that are teaching an actual education of math, of reading, of writing, of science, of critical thinking, and they're leaving because they don't want to put up with this anymore. And maybe pay for teachers is not good enough, but what it's creating right now is a group of young activists. When we go through these videos, the through line here is typically young female teachers. Young female teachers entering the workforce in a job that it takes a few years to get a degree in and then they can get this job that pays, I don't know, maybe $45,000 a year. I don't know what the average salary for teachers is, but I'm sure it's somewhere around there. And a fresh set of kids to indoctrinate with their beliefs. And I think a lot of it stems from a rejection of their beliefs from adults because reasonable people and people who are looking at things logically are finding that this is not a sound way to live. There is a reality. There is a somewhat binary system that we live in and you can choose to deviate from that, but you don't get to tell me that the reality that I live in is actually something different and that I have to morph it. So they go, okay, but what if we taught kids? Because we don't we wouldn't possibly want these uh, we, these adults teaching their kids we can't let this move on to another generation so they seek out teaching careers for this sole purpose and you'll find that it's it's in careers it's not it's happening in high schools and middle schools but they're seeking out elementary school kids they're seeking out these jobs and that's where these videos are coming from and here's another one of a teacher who is teaching i believe preschool which is what 3 and 4 year olds and this is what she has to say Hi, my name's Az and I'm a preschool teacher. So my classroom celebrates diversity. It's probably my favorite thing to teach. We usually use kids books to talk about this kind of thing. Recently we started wearing pronoun pins and the kids get to pick a new pronoun pin every day. We have some that pick like she, her every single day and we have some that change it up. So diversity is really important in my class. So I recently realized that there's a whole lot of really amazing figureheads and people to look up to in this world who aren't white or straight or male or have, what have you and that we should learn a little bit more about these people hi my name's Ab god forbid we talk about a straight white male man <laughs> god forbid that kids have something like that to look up to and think about what that means what are all of our founding fathers i'll give you some time straight white males uh so we're not gonna look up to them what are most of the people that have truly ever done anything in this country <laughs> to move it forward after that point? Oh, straight white males. Uh, so we can't look up to those people. Those people can no longer be role models. They can't be people we teach about or talk about because that represents privilege and white supremacy. And in the meantime, what we'll do is instead we'll use that time to give out pronoun pins to our kids and they can pick whichever pronoun they want and they don't even have to stick to that pronoun pin. They can change it for any given day because gender is so fluid that not only can you change it if you're a boy, but say you're a girl or you're a girl and say you're a boy, but every single day your gender can change. That identity can change. That's how fluid it is. And it is just this completely oversimplified 
version of of living and being a human being of course we feel different on different days that does not mean our gender identity changes and you can be a woman who likes male things or a man who likes female things or a woman who presents rather masculine and is a tomboy or a man who presents very femininely and that is totally okay and when i have kids i'll allow my kids to explore the things that they like and the things that they want to do is that going to dictate what gender i look at my kids as no. Am I going to be raising babies like some people are doing now saying my kids are non-binary and they can choose their gender whenever they're old enough to do so? No. I'm just going to have my boy or my girl do whatever it is that they would like to do, of course, with, you know, within reason and treat them as my child and as a boy and as a girl and go about their lives in that way and why everybody is not wanting to do that and instead wanting to do things that in my opinion and in clinical opinion when we look at studies cause harm to children blows my mind and I think a lot of it is feeling so alone in your identity and sometimes questioning it so much that you need affirmation and affirmation from kids, from children, is very easy to get. Kids love everything. They want to be happy. They want you to be happy. They want you to feel included. They want you to feel loved because kids are so pure and innocent. And to corrupt such an innocence with things like this, without that kid ever being aware of how harmful that is actually going to be to them and their future, is a horrible thing to do. Although I'm sure it feels great to indoctrinate kids with your set of values. It is horrible and should not be happening. Now, we're going to almost close out today. We're going to go through your love and hate comments <laughs> on here and read them and see what you guys had to say about our first week of Unapologetic Live. I'm so excited. Thank you guys so much for watching this show, for being a supporter of it, for leaving your comments and uh, we'll be back next week on Monday. We're also going to do another Devil's Advocate. I hope you watched yesterday's episode with Brandon Tatum, where I played a leftist and asked him about policing. Next week, we are doing so with Colin Wright, talking about transgender and gender theory. And I will play the leftist, trying to defend the people who believe these things. And Colin, who is a evolutionary biologist and a very outspoken opponent of gender theory, specifically for young people and in schools, uh, is going to be representing the opposition and talking to me about that. So I hope you're around next week and we will be here. Now let's get into your love hate. This is the top comments from this week. Uh, this is from the LAX Tea Party. Uh, <laughs> this one was posted on our Brandon Tatum episode. He says, what the hell is this? Two token Afrikaans debating something? These two should be working in the food service industry, not posing as experts on social issues. <laughs> now, this is actually funny because, you know, a little of this, a little bit of this is true. And I will admit it to you, I should not be doing this job. This is the sign of a very messed up world that a 21-year-old girl like me is doing this job. <laughs> so maybe I should be working in the food service industry. Hopefully as like a manager, like a little little bit higher than like, give me a little credit, a little higher in the food services industry than like, I don't know, putting the fries in the basket or like taking orders, which no knocks on anybody who does that. But I, I would hope that at least I would be like a manager in this guy's eyes or woman's eyes. I just possibly misgendered this person. My apologies. Uh, but yeah, two token Afrikaans. Which isn't that a language? That's that's a language in South Africa. Yeah, that I, is like a blend of Dutch and African dialects. Yeah, at least so that's not, how I know yeah, it. Yeah, 
<laughs> so, so I don't he's know. calling you a language, which just shows the intelligence of the person who's coming after you right now. Right, but how dare I talk about social issues? And also, <laughs> I never claim to be an expert on any of this. I think we're very clear that I'm just exploring these things and giving you my opinion on things, and that is also subject to change. Uh, if there's any valid argument to make me change my views, which so far we haven't had one, but if we if we get somebody on here that's willing to uh, you know get be in the battle and try to change my opinion and they're right, I will admit that they were right. So yes, I will continue being a token grifter for PragerU, and I'll see you guys uh, see you guys on Monday. Let's look at the next one. This is from Sophie Dervy. She said, Amala, you're good at this, dude. A few times I had to snap back and realize that you guys are generally on the same side. Uh, both of you are great. It takes skill to debate this way, and I love seeing the other side and uh, hearing responses as well as adding to your arguments by talking at the screen. L-M-A-O. I love that. So she's at home helping you out on your arguments or maybe helping Brandon out probably. <laughs> I, I do that so much. I watch videos on YouTube. I'm like, I wish they said this. They should have said this. Oh, particularly when I watch The View. When I watch clips from The View on YouTube and they put on, I'm not going to name any names for the conservatives that they put on, but sometimes they put on conservatives on that show to defend this set of beliefs. And so often I'm like, I wish you said this. I wish you said this. But it's tough. You are live on TV and you do have an allotted amount of time to say what you need to say. But oh my gosh, those ladies irk me. So Sophia, thank you so much for adding to the commentary and adding to the argument. Next, James Abernathy. PragerU has really sunk to a whole new low with Amala. A teenager? <laughs> <laughs> with no credible rhetoric. Okay, first of all, I am not a teenager. I am 21. I am two years out of being a teenager. So I'm teenager adjacent. Count them. That's two whole years <laughs> two past being whole a teenager. Years. That is 365 times two, okay, James Abernathy? <laughs> so I have a lot to say. Uh, but no, again, I recognize where I am. And I do think that really a 21 year old doing this and like being on fox news that's insane to me and i sometimes go to bed i'm like my life is crazy and why why have i been uh tasked with doing this and why have i taken this on but again people are listening and people are hearing things that maybe they have not heard or maybe they need to hear and if i'm the person to do that and i just happen to be 21 i will take that on as far as no credible rhetoric i don't think you could find somebody who's pretty much more credible in representing both these views considering i worked for the left and now I'm on the other side of things and doing this and have done an extensive amount of research to get where I am and constantly challenge myself in the things that I believe. And Taylor does the same. So if PragerU has sunk to a whole new low, baby, I'm hanging out uh, with the low hanging fruit. I'm hanging out here and it's a good time. Next. Allison Taylor, this is a wonderful discussion slash debate. You did very well as an interviewer. You made good points, but kept your mind truly open. I'm so happy to have found your channel. Whoop, whoop, new subscriber. And hope to see more individuals like Officer Tatum on your show in the future. Keep on going. I should send these to Brandon as well, but I'm sure he gets beautiful comments like this all the time. I'm so glad that you guys are open to this new way of doing things on this show. I've noticed that the comments on this show are so profound and people are truly deeply listening to the things that we're saying and talking about and I'm learning new things just by scrolling through the comments and listening to what you all have to say and reading about your experiences and sometimes they are things that challenge my beliefs and others are things that help me to further support the things that I'm saying so I love that you guys love the discussion format the debate format and we want to be really interactive with you guys in the chat next one okay Queen Tara of Our Christ uh 
you're now a Gestapo bootlicker. <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> uh, first of all, it's Y-O-U-R-E with the apostrophe. Uh, if you're going to hate on me, please do so in a format that is grammatically correct. Uh, and I will not have to mention that in the future. But you're now a Gestapo bootlicker. I mean, I got I got somebody who posted me on Instagram the other day and said I was like new bootlicker alert or something like that. I think that's so funny. I think that's so funny. If that's my job, so be it. If that's what you view me as, so be it. Because I'm having the time of my life. And if this is licking boots. <laughs> then what a great job it is. What a great time to be here and to be doing this. I wonder what episode this was on. Was uh, this on the policing yeah. episode? Pro yes, probably. Okay, I was yeah, going to say, this has got to be on the policing episode because what does the Gestapo part mean? Uh, you know, hate is going to hate and they're going to continue what I'm going to continue to. Uh, next one. Let's see. Please support so Amala can respond. I don't think it is adequate to end your argument with black crime higher equals black death higher. You argue that the increased death rate among black people is a reflection of uh, the increased crime rate among young black men, but you don't interrogate that further. Does that mean that young black men deserve this higher death rate? You don't seem to investigate the causes of the higher crime rate among these communities. The defund the police movement seeks to move funds from policing towards community care efforts, such as getting poor people into long-term satisfying jobs, as well as proper sporting facilities and community centers, etc. The point of the defund the police movement, at least the part of the movement that I support, is to resolve crime rather to then intensify the policing of it, which leads to more violence. So let's make this. There's a lot of things said in here. I'm going to go from that last statement. Uh, resolve crime rather to then intensify the policing of it, which leads to more violence. Intensifying policing and ridding the streets of crime does not lead to more violence. It, in fact, does the opposite. You're getting these bad players and these bad actors, which often in these lower income communities happen to be gangs, which is not consistent with everybody who lives in these communities. In fact, most of the people living in these communities are also being terrorized by the gang violence in these areas, and they want police there to be able to take care of it. I work with police officers in Watts, one of the most dangerous communities you can live in in the state of California. And we went there for a ride along, which you can watch on PragerU. We have that video. And we talked to the police officers. And now I've been able to talk to people in these communities, specifically a group of mothers who have had their sons taken away from them by gang violence. I mean, their lives taken. And they want police there. They want to strengthen the relationship between police and the community because now you have a bunch of small actors and these gang networks are very extensive. I mean, taking over streets and streets and streets of these communities and they are committing violence and police need to be there to respond. I should make an entire video on this because it's a subject matter that I'm very passionate about and I've had a horrific experience working with the police officers. I'll mention this very shortly. I was on a ride along quite recently. I want to say about a month and a half ago or so in Watts. And during the ride along, I was with these police officers and two young girls were in another car that work in this mentorship program who live in Watts and who every day have to look over their shoulder to make sure that they can get to school safely, make sure they can get to the convenience store safely, make sure they can get home safely without being victims of this violence. And during this police ride along, we were just driving and talking. It was going to be a very slow night. I was just there to meet these girls and to work with some 
other charities that they are working with. And what did we ride up on? We rode into a neighborhood. A woman comes out screaming, blood all over her hands, screaming for police and a paramedic. We get out of the car, walk over, and what what's there? A man shot and killed. And he was he was barely alive when we got there. And he did not live. He did not live. And when you go back and you look at the footage of what happened, which I got to do uh, through working so closely with them and being somebody who wants to tell these stories, what you see is young men in, say, their 20s and some even teenagers coming up, walking down the street with a gun in hand and shooting into this man's car and killing him. He drives off the road. And what do they do? They don't run away. They don't walk away. They walk up to the car and they shoot him and finish him off. That's what people are dealing with. And to look at that and to see that and acknowledge that and go, these communities do not need more police. What we need to do is throw money at these problems is an issue. That is not how it works. And it's very similar with other issues and how liberals and leftists tend to look at them. Look at the issue of homelessness in California. We look at it and we go, we need to throw money at it. We need to give them homes. We need to give them homes and and fix that up. And it does not fix the root of the problem. You have to clean these places up first and at the same time put money into these resources. But it should not be the same money that is supposed to be directed towards police officers. And guess what these police officers are doing, which nobody knows. The police officers in these neighborhoods are running their own charities and funneling their resources, their hard-earned money into these communities, building up recreational centers, making sure kids have after-school programs, allowing people to join trade schools to get jobs that allow them to make enough income to not only work within their communities, but work so that they can move away. That is what police officers are doing. It is not just their job to deter crime. I'm trying to see what else I need to respond to here. Okay. You argue that the increased death rate among black people is a reflection of the increased crime rate among young black men, but you don't interrogate that further. Does that mean that young black men deserve this higher death rate? No. Nobody in their right mind is coming here to make an argument to say that people deserve to die or that we want to see more people death or that or that you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles what we are saying is that if you commit crimes and particularly violent ones uh when police respond what do you expect to happen i'm confused because we look at people who are perpetrating this horrible climate for these communities and when police officers respond and they don't act properly they don't listen to police officers and they subsequently get into an altercation that leads to the ending of their lives are we meant to blame the police officers in that case because the police officers are the ones that have to go okay here's a dangerous situation that i'm just going to go assert myself into why because they care about the community and if that situation ends in death is that their fault no they did not create the encounter that led to it they are not the ones who just suddenly stopped somebody and said you know i'm going to shoot this person because i feel like it no they responded to something they show up and this person decides not to go with the orders of police officers or in many ways poses a violent threat to them so if i'm a police officer am i just supposed to stand there and take it while somebody tries to evade arrest or to harm me in some way shape or form no they have the right to defend themselves and yes i am fully with people on the left side of this, and there are many conservatives on this side as well, that we need to funnel resources into inner city schools. 
that's not what we're doing. You know, I just went on Laura Ingram to talk about this whole crown act that's being talked about where they're trying to protect black people from hair discrimination in the workplace and in school saying, you know, your employer shouldn't be able to discriminate on you based on your hair. Sure, that's all good and fine and dandy. I don't think you should discriminate on for people based on what their hair looks like. And I don't think that's happening as much as they say it is. But couldn't you be focusing on fixing the education in inner city schools? Couldn't you be focusing on making these places safer? Couldn't you be focusing on making an economy that allows people in lower income communities to build their own businesses, to build their own livelihoods? And couldn't you be incentivizing them to do so? Couldn't you take an extra look at the welfare system and maybe work with that a little bit because it's crippling people in these communities? These are all things that we could be looking at and talking about, but instead we choose to look at police officers who are simply doing their jobs and doing them very effectively, I must say. You know, as much as we talk about police brutality, it is not the issue that the legacy media is trying to paint it to be. And there are so many other things we could be focusing on. So I agree with you in part. We should be funneling resources into these communities and helping them build themselves up in a way that is healthy and allows for them to create businesses and create generational wealth and spread that wealth down and get out of poverty. But that's not the resources that we're giving to police. We don't cut them off so that we can just funnel this back into the community. You find more resources and you give it to them, but you also resource your police officers who have to deal with this. Okay, next. Mic drop. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I rant about these things because it makes me... It makes me frustrated because, you know, I was one of those people. I would have left a comment like that and I would have believed this to be true and this to be the right thing. And when you find out how wrong you are about that, it's unbelievable. And I don't want other people to think that <laughs> because it's you're truly harming. You're truly harming people by saying these things and by promoting uh, people who allow this to happen. Yeah, and I, I know that's a little bit of a curveball that I concluded that comment on there because yeah. I don't think you had read that in advance. No. But, I, but you know, I know that part of the spirit of this show and what you want to do, what we want to do is to engage with people of different views and yes. to give voice to them and actually contend with the arguments at hand. That's why we did the uh, Devil's Advocate segment with Brandon Tatum yesterday. But that's what we want to do with this comment section is look at them. And right. if you guys have an argument, Amala will, you know, look at it, read it, react to it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we want to have those conversations because we believe that the truth is what should win and the truth is what should, and what will out. We believe in free speech. And so, yeah, right. if there's better arguments than one, the ones that we're making, then, yeah, bring them. And uh, we'll love, we'd love to hash it all out. Yeah, so if you disagree on anything at all that we talked about today, what all did we talk about? We talked about Brian Stelter and CNN. We talked about Elon Musk and Twitter. We talked about gender theory in schools. We talked about policing a little bit. If you disagree with anything that was said in any way, shape, or form, Leave a comment down below, and hopefully next week we'll address it and go through the argument on that. Uh, and yeah, and if you feel like I missed anything, let me know. Uh, lastly, we're going to close out with weekly picks. Uh, we just want to tell you guys what we've been up to throughout the week, give you recommendations that fall outside of political and social issues. I, this week, finished season two of Bridgerton. Uh, and I am recommending it to people. I was on the fence. I'm like, is Bridgerton really that good? It didn't wow me or anything like that. But I love period dramas and things like that. So I, I stuck it out and watched Bridgerton. And I, I like it. I think it's a good show. I also watched a new movie called Fresh. It's on Hulu. And 
it was gross. It was gross. I don't typically watch horror movies or thrillers or anything in that vein of uh, movie or cinema. And I watched Fresh because people were saying it's really good and Sebastian Stan is in it and he's a good actor. Uh, and if you like that stuff and you can take a significant amount of gore, it's worth a watch. I cannot take a significant amount of gore. I so. was actually shocked. I can't either. I had to like <laughs> look away a couple scenes and then go back. But the acting was really good. And that's why I watched it. I was like, I just want to see the acting <laughs> uh, and then look away. But it's about cannibalism. So if that freaks you out. Yeah. Sounds like a great movie. Sounds so good, right? Uh, yikes. <laughs> okay, Taylor, your turn. Okay, well. You said it wasn't going to be political. This kind of well, is, but uh, yeah, I was. I came across this on Twitter this week. Um, Twitter showed me a little bit of free speech, I guess. Um, but this was this was a, a piece that John Jonathan Haidt, who's a psychologist that wrote a book that I really like. It's called uh, I can't remember the name right now. The Righteous Mind. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, um, this is a little snippet from that. I'm going to read it. Um, he said, it's not just the waste of time and scarce attention that matters. It's the continual chipping away of trust. An autocracy can deploy propaganda or use fear to motivate behaviors it desires. But a democracy depends on widely internalized acceptance of the legitimacy of rules, norms, and institutions. Uh, blind and irrevocable trust in any particular individual or organization is never warranted. But when citizens lose trust in, in elected leaders, uh, health authorities, the courts, the police, universities, and integrity of elections, then every decision becomes contested mm -hmm. and every election becomes life and death struggle to save the country from the other side. And yep. um, actually, our friend uh, Saver XX, who's been super chatting on the main channel, mm -hmm. summed this up nicely as well. I just saw he said, if ignorance reigns over truth, then only might becomes right. No mm -hmm. truth or reason needed. We can we can become in darkness and cannot be illuminated by new existing information. But this whole idea that if you if we cannot have, through free speech meet and talk and come to discover the truth, discover the best arguments, um, then it's all about might, might makes right. It's about uh, you, uh, me asserting my opinions, my side, beating your side and censoring your side and subjugating them and using whatever power, seizing whatever power I can to uh, put you into submission. And I think what we're trying to do on this show, what we stand for, for free speech, uh, what people like Amala, Elon Musk and others mm -hmm. are trying to do is promote free speech, make it so that we discuss uh, the best ideas, let the truth out by sharing ideas, exchanging them, making the best arguments that we can, critiquing one another's points of view, and hopefully restoring uh, the free speech and uh, the people's confidence in the mechanism of free speech for to to build society on rather than uh, just our, our stream cutting out. I think so. Just a little bit. Anyway, right in the middle of my soliloquy. So yeah, that's I know. But Anyways, um, so I just thought that was a great little snippet from from John Haidt this week, and I encourage you to read his piece in The Atlantic if you get the time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really is so true that if we can't agree on some basic rules and norms that our society is going to crumble. And I think that uh, we need to start reiterating that and talking about that and trying to decide what our legitimate rules are and norms so that we can have this discussion as a people. Guys, that is our show for today. Thank you so much for watching Unapologetic Live. We'll be back on Monday at 
3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be seeing you guys on Rumble, Getter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, and later, we'll post clips and uh, other reels and things on Instagram. So we are everywhere all at once. If you want to listen to us, you can go to Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts, and you can listen to us there as well. I can't wait to see you guys next week again. We have Colin Wright on as a guest talking gender theory while I play Devil's Advocate, and we have some very fun shows for you. So I will see you guys then. Have a fantastic weekend. Bye. Bye.